As many of you know, it's that time of year when people are looking back over the previous year and evaluating what they've, what they've done well and what needs improvement, right? It's also that time of year when people are looking ahead and setting new goals and making new resolutions for the upcoming year. And I know that, that many of you have, have already been doing this. You have already made some, some commitments that you plan on keeping for 2017. Maybe some of you have made resolutions to uh, exercise more, to eat healthier this time of year. Maybe others of you have made commitments to uh, get out of debt, to give money to worthy causes. That's a good thing. I want to encourage each and every one of you in here to, to make those types of commitments and to honor those commitments. But I, I too want to take time this morning, not to overwhelm you, not to, not to burden you down with too much, but I want, to, I want to take some time this morning to share with you what types of commitments I believe that we need to be making as believers and as a church. And though these are our New Year's resolutions that I'm sharing with you this morning, the points I'm going to be making this morning are nothing new. These are straight from our church's mission statement and, and straight from the Word of God. I've been meaning to revisit these points for, for some time, and I thought there was no better time to do it than my first time to, to preach this new year. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you what I believe needs to be the goals that all of us set for ourselves as believers and as a church this next year. But before I get into it, I want to take a few moments once again to remind you of our church's mission statement. Here it is up on the screen. This is our mission statement. It says this, Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. Now, some of you, upon hearing that, you're thinking to yourself, well, well that sounds good. That's, that's catchy. Escort, establish, equip. I saw that coming in right above the doors in our worship center here. But what does that actually mean? What does that look like? How do we accomplish this as a church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because for the rest of this morning, I'm going to break down our church's mission statement for you into three points. And I'm sure you know what those points are going to be going to explain to you how, how all of you can and should be involved in these three things in escorting, establishing, and equipping in 2017. So we're going to do something a bit unique this morning. Normally what we do is we open up a, a book from the Bible and we go straight through that book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we're going to be starting that next week as we start the book of Hebrews. But we're, we're doing things a little bit different today. We're going to talk about these three E's of our mission statement. So let's take a look at it. First, our resolution as a church should be to escort people to Christ. 
escort people to Christ. Now, before I speak to the believers in here this morning, let me address those of you in here who are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. I'm aware of the fact, and and church, you should be as well, that there are some in our midst each and every week who have yet to have turned over the reins of their life, who have yet to have given their lives up and over to the Lord Jesus. And understand this as well, church. Some of these people I'm describing are not first-time visitors. There are unbelievers in our midst each and every week, and some of them are here Sunday after Sunday. And listen, if I'm speaking to you, my prayer for you this morning is that as you watch the actions of believers in this church, as you see them shine their light for Christ, as you see them live their lives under the lordship of Christ, and, and as they, you see them share their faith with others and maybe share their faith with you. My prayer is as you hear the word of God preached week after week and are are taught the gospel in small group settings and during men's and women's Bible studies and equipping classes that you would be convinced that Jesus is Lord and would in turn give your lives up and over to him. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says, whoever confesses and makes Christ Lord and truly believes in his heart, with, it, truly believes at the core of his being that Jesus is who he claimed to be, Paul says that person will be saved. If you've never made that decision, I pray Today be the very day that you do so. Today be the day of your salvation. There's no better way to start off this year than turning from your sins and giving your life up and over to Christ. So that's the the first necessary step that you need to make today if you have not. Before you can be effective at escorting people to Christ, you must first be escorted. And after that, after you come to know Jesus as Lord, then you are called to display him and his gospel to the unbelieving and watching world. Believers, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be representatives of Christ. And there are two primary ways in which we do that. One is through showing, and the other is through sharing. First, let's talk about showing. What do I mean when I say that we are to represent Christ through showing? Well, I'm talking about living out your faith. I'm talking about living to prove that your relationship with God through Christ Jesus is authentic. I'm sure it's not a big surprise to many of you in here that there are more people in our world today who talk the talk rather than walk the walk. But believers, Scripture is clear. That is not to be true of us. Along with being vocal, we are to be visible. 
The way we live our lives as believers should cause you and me to stick out. Because the life that God calls us to live, it goes against the flow of this world. I've heard pastors say before, live as I say, not as I do. They'll say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Well, that's a far cry from what Paul said when he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. He said that, did he not? Follow my example as I live unto Christ. Now listen, we're not to say, do as I say, not as I do. If we do that, we're guilty of doing what Jesus accused the scribes and Pharisees of doing in Matthew 23, 2-4. Listen to this. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The scribes and Pharisees, they talked a big game, didn't they? They did, but they had a major issue. They didn't have a lifestyle to match. That's not to be true of us. Believers, God has called us out. He has set us apart for a reason. Not just to enjoy all the benefits that come from being right with Him, but to represent Him to others. So church, my prayer for us this upcoming year is that as the unbelieving and watching world watch our lives, that they would see Christ in us. I pray that people would come to see that Christ is Lord through watching how we live our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. So we're to represent Him through showing. Not only that, we're also to represent Christ through sharing through sharing. Though it's essential that we represent Christ through our actions, we must also make him known by sharing his message. Along with being visible representatives, we're to be vocal witnesses. Look at Romans 10, 13 through 14. I know we have this up on the screen. Look at it. Look at what Paul says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In in this passage, Paul shows us the importance of being a vocal witness for Jesus. He tells us in verse 14 that before one can come to trust in Christ alone for salvation, he or she must first hear the message. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, well, we live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, right? East Texas, Jacksonville, Texas. Surely everybody's heard the message of the gospel in Jacksonville, right? If you ask a large number of people in our city, they'll probably tell you they have a good grasp on the gospel and believe themselves to be Christians. But get this, if you really press them, If you really press people to articulate what they believe, you'll find they don't have a clue. I've done this. I've asked a lot of people questions pertaining to the gospel and the Bible about, and you know the response I get more than any other? You got to do your best to be good, and maybe that'll be enough to get in. 
Folks, that's not just a misunderstanding of the gospel message. That message is opposed to the gospel altogether. Because at the core of what we believe is that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not works. Works play no part in it whatsoever. And so many in our, in our world, many in our community, they need to, to unlearn what they think they know about the gospel and they need to take a fresh look at God's word to understand the message scripturally. So believers here, we have an even bigger task than others because not only do we have a lot of people who need to learn what the gospel is, they have to unlearn what it's not. They'll never come to that understanding, believers, if we remain silent. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing. Faith comes through hearing. So believers, make sure that you are being a vocal witness as well as a visible one. And if you've fallen down on this job this past year, it's time to recommit right here, right now, today. Now, before we move on to the next point, I want to talk to our, our parents with young kids for a moment, or maybe our grandparents who have young kids in the home, grandkids in the home. And I want to ask you, parents and grandparents, are you showing and sharing your gospel, this, this gospel message to your kiddos? I pray you would take every chance you can get to do so. You should be a vocal witness to your kids from birth. When their babies sing worship songs to them, when their toddlers read storybook Bibles as they sit and play or sit on your lap, teach them before they can understand until they understand. When they learn to talk, Teach them how to memorize biblical truths about the fact that, that God has created us for his glory and though we're sinful, Christ is Savior. When they learn to read, teach them to read the word of God. I guarantee if you went through parents in the church and said, why is it important that your kid learn to read? The majority, the majority of them will say, because they, you know, they need to, to get an education and have a good job. No, the main reason for your kids to learn to read is so that they can read the written word. Learn about who God is and what he's done for us. The most important message. Don't waste a moment you have with your kiddos. I don't get these people who say they're just too young to understand, so I'm going to wait until they do. So what? Teach them until it sinks in. Who cares if they don't understand it first? They will. And they'll understand it earlier than if you waited. We got too many 20 to 30-year-old infants in our churches today who grew up in Christian homes just like yours and in churches just like this. It's true. We would cringe if we did just a basic Bible quiz and handed it out in our churches, I guarantee you. So important that we, we show our kids, we, we share with our kids about the gospel at a young age. Get them reading God's word at a young age. And it's also important that we show our kids how to live a life that is honoring to God. Now, this is much more difficult, isn't it? One of the toughest places to represent Christ is in the home because our kids see us at our worst. 
They, they see us in the morning when we didn't get a, a, enough sleep the night before, and they see us after a long day of work when we're tired and stressed out. They're watching us to see if, if Christ is really our true treasure in the way we spend our free time, and whether it's in God's Word or, or with another idol. But listen, though it's the, one of the toughest places to represent Christ, it's one of the most important places that we do it. It is. So I pray, parents, on top of sharing and showing Christ in the workplace and in around Jacksonville, that you're representing Christ in your homes. I would love more than anything in the next few years to have your kids come into my office and share with me about the fact that they're trusting in Christ for salvation because of your witness in the home. Very important. So that's the first resolution that we should make for ourselves as believers in 2017, to escort people to Christ through showing and sharing by being a visible representative as well as a vocal witness for him. The second resolution is this, commit this next year to get established in truth. Though it's important for you to get escorted to Christ, listen, it's essential you don't stay there. It's important that you, you grow up in godliness. What many today believe and teach is that that initial decision that you made is what salvation is all about. Therefore, some believe that prayer they prayed, that initial decision they made, that aisle they walked down 10 or 20 years ago is all salvation is. I've shared Christ with people in the past they responded with, oh, I already did that. Like Christ is a that that you do. And the question I often follow up with is, but are you doing it today? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation right now? If there came a time in your life when you received Christ as Lord, are you living under his lordship today? Are you growing up in godliness? Though being Change from the inside out is the first necessary step, giving your life up and over to Jesus. God expects us to grow and develop in our faith. And believers, hear me when I say this. It's weird for you not to grow up in godliness. It's weird. It's abnormal. It's not natural. Let me give you a, an illustration. Let's say you're out in public and you witness a toddler having a meltdown falling into the floor, throwing things off the shelves, kicking his feet. I imagine if you saw that, you wouldn't be all that surprised, right? We see that every time we go to Walmart. Sometimes it's our kids. But now let me ask you this. What, what if you saw a 30 to 40-year-old do it? Fall into the floor, kick his legs, hit his wife or husband, throw cereal across the cereal aisle, whatever. Now, my guess is if you saw that, that would cause you to stop and stare, right? Now, get this. You know the reason why? Because it's abnormal and unnatural for a grown adult to act like a toddler. The same is true spiritually. If you are not growing and developing spiritually, that's a problem. If you're here this morning and you're not making any strides year after year in your spiritual life, you need to first revisit the first point and, and make sure that you've been made right. Make sure that you're truly trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. You need to also realize that it is unnatural. It is weird 
for you to remain in a state of spiritual infancy. One of the most basic principles in the Bible you find from Genesis to Revelation is that God's people believe God, they know Him, they walk with Him, they follow Him, they trust in Him, they grow up in Him. It's one of the most, I mean, you don't, you don't see God's people I mean, they mess up, yes, but they're, 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 they're following him, they're believing in him, they're trusting in him, and they're, they're developing in their faith. Jesus said this, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. It's that simple. Doesn't get any simpler. Followers of Christ, follow Christ. They respond to him. They trust in him. They obey him. They grow in him. And again, some of you will ask, well, what does this look like? How, how do I get on the right path toward maturity? Some of you are thinking to yourself, I, I really do want to make strides this next year. I don't know where to begin. Well, there are two essential ways for you to get established in truth so that you can grow in godliness. One is publicly, and the other is privately. First, let's look at growing in godliness being established in truth publicly. I know I've shared this with you before, but you and I, we need reminding, don't we? All of us, all believers, without exception, need the church. There is this growing trend in our world today that says church is optional. Many think I can be who God's called me to be apart from the church. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth. Believers in the first century, they would have thought that was crazy. They couldn't even imagine a life apart from the fellowship of believers. It's like saying, I could be a surgeon without going to medical school. It's ridiculous. Many believers have the mentality that the church needs them, but they don't necessarily need the church. Believers, without the church, we cannot come close to being who God's called us to be. You know why? Because God uses his people as they gather together and study his word and pray for one another and serve one another in the power of his Holy Spirit to sharpen each other in ways that would not be possible otherwise. The most off-base people I've met are those trying to do it on their own. I mean, just off-track, doctrinally. I'm like, you need to be in the church to, to have some people straighten you out and sharpen you up. It's dangerous. We're not meant to go at life on our own, our, our spiritual lives. Here's another thing. I mean, how can, we be, how can we be faithful to love one another and serve one another and care for one another and bear one another's burdens and sharpen one another, which God tells us we're to be doing in his word if we don't associate with one another? It's as simple as that. Believers, we have a lot of opportunities here for you to connect with people and be sharpened in this way in the church. In addition to Sunday morning, which I would encourage you, we don't keep roll here, you know, but, but to be here on a regular basis next week, we're starting a study through the book of Hebrews. We're going to be going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through that entire book. I want to encourage you to be here for that, okay? So 
be here on a regular basis, but we have, we have other opportunities as well. We have equipping classes that meet once a month on Wednesday evenings. For those of y'all who've never been, this is a good time to start coming because we're starting a new study. And the purpose of these classes are to ground you in biblical truth. Unfortunately, there are too few ministries in our churches today with this focus, which is a shame because to live the life that God has called for us to live, we must first think the way he's called for us to think in his word. Right living flows from right thinking. If we don't think rightly, we won't, we won't live rightly, which is why in these classes we focus heavily on biblical content as well as practical living. And next month in, in the middle of February on a Wednesday night, we're going to be looking for the dates. We'll post them. We're going to start a new equipping class called Live and Pray Like Jesus. We're going to be looking at the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be a great study we're going to have together. So, so make a commitment to do that. We also provide men's and women's Bible studies. Our guys meet uh, once a week on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday evenings. During their time together, they study through books of the Bible. They, they pray for one another, pray together. They encourage each other to grow in godliness. Our women normally meet on Sunday evenings and, and Thursday mornings for Bible study. They do the same. I believe they just started their studies through the book of Genesis on Sunday nights, and, and the other ladies are going to be doing Hebrews, another study of Hebrews this, this winter as well. We also have small groups that, that meet in the homes made up of both men and women. Our small groups are another way for you to be established in truth publicly. On top of studying the Bible together through our small groups, they're also meant to cultivate community. It's a way for you to, to plug in to God's people here at this church on a smaller scale and live in community as God's people together and, and, and learn from one another and pray for one another and encourage one another and live in community like God's called us to do. And if you want to know more about our small groups, it's good you're here right after service. Make your way to the back, to the multi-purpose room in the back part of this building. We're going to be sharing about small groups and giving you more specifics on that. So if you're just wondering what they're all about, please plan on staying. Our small groups, y'all stay too, the small, those in small groups, because we're going to have lunch provided, okay? So we've got small groups. Lots of opportunities for you to get established in truth. And here's my challenge to you. I want to encourage each and every one of you to get plugged in to one or a few of these existing ministries in, a, in addition to coming here on Sunday morning. You don't have to be involved in everything that we have. If you want to be, we'll let you. But get plugged into one or a few of these things. And if you have questions about that, just see me afterwards or call the church office during the week. So that's one way to get established publicly on a corporate level. But it's also essential that we commit to getting established in private as well, privately. Look at Philippians 2, 12 through 13 up on the screen. Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Paul gives us two essential truths here about our growth in godliness. First, he shows us it's a divine work from within. He says in verse 13, it is God who works in you. For us to be who God has called for us to be, we have to have God doing a work from the inside, right? 
We need a God-given desire, a God-given motivation, a God-given drive to respond to him. So it's a divine work that God does with them, but it's also a human work we work out. Paul says, work out your own salvation, believer. He he is saying here, as God works within, you respond to his work by working out what he's working in you. You respond by getting established in truth, by continuing to believe, continuing to trust, continuing to follow, continuing to obey. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Yes, he used that word discipline. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. When I read about this, I think about an athlete in training. Think about professional athletes. They don't get where they are overnight, right? They have to be disciplined. They have to refrain from doing things they want to do to push their body to do things it would prefer not to do, but wouldn't be able to do had they not pushed it. So you see, there's also freedom when you discipline yourself because they're free to do things they would not be able to do had they not disciplined themselves. Same is true in our spiritual life. For us to mature, we're going to have to put off the old man. We're going to have to starve the flesh. We are going to have to refrain from doing things this old body wants to do and push it to do things it should do and would not be able to do otherwise. There's a great book in our bookstore, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Get it today and read it. He talks about this. Excellent book. One of the best I've read. So very, very important. I guarantee you that the difference between you and the more spiritually mature person sitting down from you is the work that's being put in personally and privately Monday through Saturday. True. That's the reason we send study guides from the sermon home with you week in and week out. We have one in there this this morning for you with scripture reading for the week. That's why we have a a bookstore filled with discipleship material for people of all ages. It's because we know that, that what takes place when you leave this place is what's going to truly make the difference in your life and in your homes spiritually. All right? So we've talked about escorting. We've talked about establishing. Now let's talk about equipping. Our resolution as believers and as a church for 2017 should be to get equipped for ministry. If you've been saved, you've been forgiven, you've been made right with God, if your future in the next life is secure with God through Jesus, why are you still here? Why are you still here? What's God waiting for? Why are we who've been saved left here to live? Well, it goes back to what we said in point number one. It's because God has chosen to use us, his people, to be his representatives in this broken and fallen, sin-stained world in which we live. And he wants to grow us in godliness so that we get to the point where when we live, we're just shining the light of Christ in this dark and dead world. That's why we're here. Before Christ returned to be with the Father during his post-resurrection ministry, he gave the church a very important, incredible assignment. He said, as you're going, you are to be making disciples. So you see, we just didn't pull our mission statement out of midair, right? 
comes from Jesus. It's a good place for a mission statement to come from. He says, as you are going, you are to be making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe my teachings. That's a condensed version of what he says. Folks, that's what we are called to do until Christ returns. We are to seek out followers of him where there are not followers of him. We're to make him known where he is not known. We are to call people out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We are to encourage people to turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And when they do that, we are called to pour into them and pour into them and pour into them till they grow up in godliness so that the church is built up. That's what we're called to do. He was very, very specific about that. Believers, God has chosen to use you and use me to seek out and find his lost sheep. God said to Paul while he was ministering in Corinth, Go on speaking in this city and do not be silent, for I am with you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Believers, God has you where he has you. He has you in the family you're in, in the community you're in, in the city you're in, in the job you're in, students in the school you're in for this purpose because he wants to use you to seek out these lost sheep and finds them and wants you to to guide and direct them, to escort them to Christ and pour into them so that they grow up in Christ-likeness, grow up in godliness. That's why we come here. Do you know that? We come here to get equipped to do that. That's the purpose of being here. You may be here for another reason, but that's the reason you're supposed to be here scripturally, is to get trained up to be who God's called you to be out there. That's why we gather week in and week out. That's why we have these equipping classes and small groups and Bible studies, all of these things, food and fellowships, everything, to to get connected and to, to build relationships so we can sharpen one another and prepare one another through the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit of God to be who God's called us to be in this lost, dark, dying, sin stained world. That's the purpose. That's why it's essential that we get equipped. That's why it's important that we prepare ourselves for this assignment. And there are three ways to get prepared for this ministry that God has called us to. The first is through praying. Scripture is clear that we're to be praying for God's kingdom to advance. We're to be praying to the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers. And we're to be praying that God would make us willing if it be God's will to go and do that ourselves. We often talk about prayer as if it's secondary at best. It's sort of like a side note that you tag on to the end of the ministry to make it sound more spiritual. Nothing could be further from the truth. Prayer is the fuel of ministry. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. In other translations, it says it accomplishes much. Prayer is the means through which God works in his people's lives and in his world so when i request prayer for for ministry don't take it lightly and don't think that i do prayer's the fuel it's what gives ministry its power i guarantee you get this that at the heart of every faithful successful and fruitful ministry you will find righteous and committed believers praying you better believe it prayer also changes you does it not 
It prepares you. It equips you to be who God's called you to be. Listen, the more time you spend in conversation with God, the more you bring your needs to him, the more you see you're needy for him, right? The more time you praise him for providing for you, the more you see that God provides everything we need, right? And the closer you grow to him, the more you see your need of him and understand God is the giver of all good things. That comes through prayer. All of those things are needed as well for a God-honoring, successful, fruitful ministry. So pray for ministry. Pray for those in ministry. The second way we get equipped for ministry is through giving. Now, some don't like focusing on this subject in Scripture, the subject of, of giving. Some hear words collection and offering, and they get real antsy, maybe due to negative experiences in the past and Though there are some pastors and church leaders to blame for some of that, there have been abuses there. Listen, we can't throw the baby out, right? The bathwater. Truth is, God uses money to make ministry happen. He does. We couldn't do what we do were it not for your sacrificial giving. Through the sacrificial giving of, of believers, God's kingdom advances. And guess who benefits? The one giving the money and the one receiving the money. Both benefit. Believe me when I say that. You benefit when you give sacrificially and the ministry benefits as well. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard about a couple giving sacrificially who received as much if not more of a blessing than the recipient of that gift. Some saw God take care of them financially in special ways when they gave sacrificially. Also, they became more familiar with the ministry they were supporting and more faithful to pray for that ministry and more knowledgeable of the ministry, and they were blessed as a result. It's a a win-win. So you get equipped when you give, and lastly, you get equipped when you go. Let's talk about going just for a minute. Surprise, surprise, sometimes the best way to get equipped for ministry is by going and doing ministry. Right? Imagine that. Now, though I believe someone should get somewhat equipped before he or she involves him or herself in a, a local ministry or before they take a mission trip, there are things God teaches us and ways he grows us on the job. I'll never forget my first mission trip. Though I prepared before I left, there were lessons that I learned on the field in Mexico City that I could never learn from a book or a handout or a class. So another way we learn is by going. So praying, giving, and going. Those are the ways in which we get equipped in ministry. So my prayer for us this year is that we would get equipped for ministry. I pray that you would make a commitment to pray for the work that we're doing here as a church locally and nationally and internationally and that you would give to support these ministries and that you would pray that God would prepare your hearts to be willing if it be God's will to go and involve yourselves in one or a few of these ministries. And I want to end real quick just by talking about a few of these ministries. I want to end this morning sharing with you what we at Fellowship are doing in the way of ministry in terms of what we're doing as a church. We have a lot of different opportunities for you to get involved in making an impact for Christ both here and there. 
both locally and then nationally and internationally. The way we think about local ministry is like this. Locally, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to get in and serve and meet needs here in Jacksonville, Texas. Now, not all of them you'll have an opportunity to you know, stand before a group of people and just preach the gospel at them. A lot of them are, are, are ways in which you get in, you serve those who have physical needs. But listen, in the midst of that, you're able to build relationships and shine the light of Christ through your actions and through the words that you share with them. And some of these ministries I'm thinking about are Hope, Cherokee County Crisis Center, Living Alternatives, Father's Love. You'd be able to mentor and, and be directly involved in kids' lives in that way. And you can talk to Brett and Melissa about that opportunity. Great ways to get plugged in and serve. Uh, Paul and Grace Hibbard are ministering in nursing homes. And, and boy, they're, they're just sharing the gospel and teaching and training and uh, so wonderful opportunity there. You can, you can come see me or you can check with, with any of them on that. That's what we're doing locally. Uh, nationally, we have something very exciting coming up in the summer, right, Jimmy, uh, for our youth. Uh, we're planning a mission trip to uh, New Orleans. And uh, it's going to be through Power Plant, an awesome ministry for youth where they have youth come from all around and they gather in different cities and they get a camp experience. They have leaders, you know, who teach them in the evenings and, and, and lead in worship. But during the day, they go out and they work with church planters who are planting churches. And, and we're, we're eyeing one in New Orleans for this summer. So we're going to give you an opportunity to be praying for that and give to support that. Maybe we need sponsors to go. And youth, we're going to be praying for you that many of you answer the call to go and, and serve in missions. And y'all know, a lot of y'all know what we're doing in foreign missions, right? We're going to focus on that this summer by the missionaries we support. You can get online and look at the missionaries we support when you give. A portion of your giving goes there. We'll talk more about Nicaragua in the fall, but, but y'all hear about it a lot. We'll talk about it this summer too, how we're training pastors and church leaders in, in Potosi, and we send teams each and every year to do that. Also, we've got a team getting ready to go to Costa Rica this summer. I believe the Brewers are going along with others to work with Melanie Wilson there, working with Nicaraguan refugees, reaching the women and children there with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of opportunities, lots of ministry opportunities and ways for you to make an impact for Christ through praying and giving and going. In just a moment, Patty's going to lead us in one more song. And as she does that, I want you to just spend just a few moments thinking about how you're doing in these areas we've been talking about this morning. Really consider making the commitment you need to make for this next year in 2017. Would you pray with me?